0: Welcome to Healthy Living in a Toxic World, a show that will empower you to live a healthier and more energetic life. Each week, we're going to explore a different topic and offer you some tips that will boost your emotional, physical, or mental wellness. I'm your host, Asosa Adosamwon, also known as Raw Girl. And today, on our Healthy Living in a Toxic World special, we are going to be talking about the power of a plant-based diet. On today's show, I'll be speaking to our special guest, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, who has spent more than 70 years researching the connection between diet and disease, and who co-authored the best-selling book, The China Study. Our forthcoming guest, Dr. Campbell, discovered that everyone has cancer cells that may pop up at various times in our lives, but what feeds cancer and fortifies it is animal protein. Because animal protein in the form of meat, dairy, and eggs alters the mix of hormones and modifies important enzyme activities, this leads to inflammation and creates an acidic environment in the body which allows cancer and other diseases to thrive. If you haven't heard yet, eating animal fats and proteins has been shown to raise a person's risk of developing cancer, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, hypertension, heart disease, and a number of other illnesses. Not only can a plant-based or vegan diet prevent disease, it can assist in reversing disease. There are numerous research studies that support this, including a study conducted by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, which showed that type 2 diabetes can be reversed on a plant-based diet. And another study conducted in 2009 by the National Cancer Institute, which showed that people that ate the most red meat were more likely to die from cancer, heart disease, and other illnesses. We are going to take a break, but when we come back, we will be speaking directly to Dr. Campbell. You don't want to miss this interview, so stay tuned to get some important and insightful information about a plant-based diet. This is a Healthy Living in a Toxic World special, and we have been talking about the power of a plant-based diet. We are getting ready now to speak to our guest for today, Dr. T. Colin Campbell. For more than 40 years, Dr. T. Colin Campbell has been at the forefront of nutrition research. His legacy, the China Project, is the most comprehensive study of health and nutrition ever conducted. Dr. Campbell is the Jacob Gould Sherman Professor Emeritus of Nutritional Biochemistry at Cornell University. He has had more than 70 grant years of peer-reviewed research funding, authored more than 300 research papers, and is the co-author of the best-selling book, The China Study, Startling Implications for Diet, Weight Loss, and Long-Term Health. Hi, Dr. Campbell. How are you? Good, thank you. It's so great to have you on the show. You have a really interesting personal story. Can you talk a little bit about your background and, and what exactly was the catalyst for you yourself to start believing in the power of a plant-based diet?
1: Well, I was raised on a dairy farm, milking cows, um, as my father was, uh, as my grandfather was, as everybody else in my, in my family's background. Um, and um, then I, I was the first to go to college, let long go to graduate school. And eventually I, I uh, went to Cornell University did my doctoral dissertation on a topic that was very consistent with what I personally had become accustomed to,
2: mm-hmm. namely,
1: try to figure out a better way uh, to produce animal protein mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: more efficiently. Because in those days, and I went along with that, obviously, uh, everyone thought that the best kind of nutrition really would come from a diet, a high protein diet, especially a high quality protein diet, which meant animal protein. So. That was my background, and then eventually, uh, after finishing my doctorate, post-doctorate at MIT, I then uh, took a position at uh, Virginia Tech, got involved with my uh, senior colleague there, who became organized a nationwide program of feeding malnourished children. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the main uh, concerns among malnourished children was the question concerning whether or not they were getting enough protein. Right. Especially high-quality protein. So, again, uh, I was faced with the proposition that, you know, we need more protein, especially right. for these children. And when I was there, I discovered that, uh, at least you got an impression, I didn't really discover too much, but I, I learned that uh, the children, the few children who were more or less consuming the most protein, it seemed, were the ones most likely to get liver cancer. Hmm. And it was just an impression. It wasn't uh, nothing like, like a fact, but it was just an impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was enough, um, especially when there was another publication that was, came out in the literature at that time showing in experimental animal studies that animals uh, getting this particular kind of cancer, which is liver cancer, uh, they also would get more, more cancer when they're fed more protein. Right. And so the combination of the experimental animal studies together with the human studies uh, kind of matched up in a sense. So I, I organized a research program funded by the National Institutes of Health, NIH, mm-hmm. and uh, probed that question in great depth for the next 27 years. Wow. Uh, and um, during that time, I had a lot of graduate students and undergraduates and fellow professors and other colleges who worked on that question, and we published extensively. And... What we learned was, um, it started out with, as I say, the presumption or hypothesis, if you will, that uh, excess protein intake might relate to the development of cancer,
2: especially Mm -hmm. that
1: special kind of cancer. And so I learned a lot, uh, especially on questions concerning the basic relationship between diet uh, and nutrition and cancer. And what, what would you became, say
0: are the, the key revelations that, you know, the average person can learn from?
1: Oh, several things, Sarah. Uh, first off, when we consume protein in excess, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, difficulties arise. And what I mean by excess is that in excess of the amount of protein present in plant-based foods, vegetables, fruits, grains, if we have a good variety, good quality, of those kind of foods, we have all the protein we need. We do not need to go to animal-based foods to get the protein. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and um, so uh, as soon as we start putting animal foods in our diet, we're starting to get a bit of excess uh, protein. But then problems arise, not just because of the excess protein, in some cases that maybe it's not the protein, but it's the other thing to come with it. Because when we consume animal-based foods, we're not consuming the antioxidants and the complex carbohydrates. It's also important. So eventually it becomes a combination of just almost infinite or countless numbers of different kinds of nutrients working together Mm -hmm. to cause problems. And the problems weren't just with respect to the cancer that I studied. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually it uh, seemed to to involve uh, cancers of various kinds, as well as heart disease and diabetes and uh, so forth. So at the end of the two or three decades that I was involved in that particular work, uh, I really came to... An impression that it was exactly the opposite of what I started with. Wow. And then at that time, uh, let's say it was 69, so you know, about 25 or, or maybe, maybe about 15 years later, I got involved in organizing a huge big study on humans in China
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to explore in, in people and in humans uh, the relationship between diet and disease as best we could. Right. It was an interesting, very unique study. And what we learned there after doing a nationwide survey of diet and lifestyle and, and disease conditions, what we learned was uh, basically the kind of information we obtained was supportive of and and uh, sort of in a sense substantiating what we had learned in the laboratory.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, it was armed at that point in time with, you know, laboratory-based research as well as research from the field, so to speak, with humans. And right. more or less all said the same thing. Closer we get to a plant-based diet, as vegetables, fruits, greens. I should say a whole plant, whole foods, plant-based diet. Right. Um, and and, that, and not to add better, back a lot of the uh, the three more devilish kind of nutrients, namely fat, sugar, and salt.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In other words, you know we don't need to add a lot of that stuff back. That means we don't use fried foods. Uh, right. Don't use a lot of, a lot of pastries. Right. Know, and things like that that people put a lot of fat in, and uh, and sugar especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of stick with the whole plant-based foods and. At that point in time, I, I came across the, a man who is now a very close colleague of mine, um, which is now already about 20-some years ago, was Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic, and also Dr. John was in California, two physicians who uh, told me about some of the work they were doing. And uh, what, they were, what they had been doing in people was actually taking people who were ill, especially people with uh, advanced heart disease, and you know, especially on a diet, you've gotten remarkable results, especially Dr. Esselton.
0: I think it's really interesting though because most doctors and primary care physicians nowadays seem to have no knowledge of these things or, or just not be able to incorporate into their practice. Is there a way to change that, do you think?
1: Excellent question. You're absolutely right. Uh, I, I've given a lot of lectures. I've probably given about 500 lectures since the mm-hmm. book came out in 2005.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, most of my lectures now are to medical schools and medical conferences. So I, I get a chance to interact with the doctors, you know, in their place where they're educated.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And
1: uh, I, there's, I can, I think it's a fair statement. There's not a single medical school in the United States that really teaches nutrition.
3: Wow, that's some of really them have sad. a few
1: lectures, maybe an elective,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to some extent. But it's that's that sort of information is almost useless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, uh, doctors are not informed of this. In a lot of cases, they aren't even given a single lecture. Hmm. It seems. And in the biomedical research community, which is my community in a sense, uh, and that's best illustrated by the National Institutes of Health, they have 27 institutes, uh, one for heart disease, one for cancer, one for diabetes, one for this and that, and a few other things. And you, you know there's not one single institute devoted to nutrition.
3: Wow. Wow. As a means of
1: health. So what, what we really have is that uh, doctors are not being informed, not being educated. Uh, and a lot of my colleagues, you know, in the medical research community are not being informed. They don't know it either. Wow. And so, um, and the public, on the other hand, what's so ironic about the thing is that clearly, if one doesn't survey the public, uh, you know, the vast majority of people uh, people are are really interested
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in nutrition, but confused, and there's right. no wonder, because the information the public tend to get is information that's largely either produced by, or at least controlled by, the industry.
0: Right, right. And in, in tandem with that information, I think that when most people hear plant-based diet, they immediately kind of go into shock because they hear that adopting a plant-based diet puts you at risk for deficiencies, especially in protein, uh, B12, iron. Is this true? And, and how can I ensure that I'm getting the nutrition that I need on a plant-based diet?
1: Well, first off, they're not deficient protein in no way. Mm-hmm. That's an old story. It's a myth. It came in a very interesting history, you know, why we became so enamored with the idea of protein being good health. Why is that? Uh, but Well, you know, protein was actually discovered way back in uh, 18, uh, 1839 in Europe, and it was a nitrogen-containing substance, and it was actually discovered in food that was being fed to dogs at the time, hmm. or a dog, and uh, they, they learned that uh, if it didn't have protein, the dogs would tend to be ill and die, maybe. Right. And uh, the protein they were isolating, you know, uh, from that food at the time, it was a nitrogen containing sub- They didn't have the name protein, but they isolated this chemical substance and found that it was required for, you know, a dog to live well. Wow. And, and this, what they, they isolated from meat. And so uh, the whole, the, the history of that for the next practically 100 years or more is that uh, proteins seem to be synonymous with meat. Right. And most people weren't aware that plants have protein too. In fact, they have the ideal kind of protein and plenty of it. Right. And so, you know, we've been laboring under this misimpression for a long time. And, and that's just, that's just the bottom line. And, and uh, we know, of course, and really have known for quite a long time, although not emphasizing it enough, we, we know that good nutrition comes from foods that are really high in antioxidants. Right. Only made by plants, by, by the way. Right. You know, there's countless antioxidants in foods, but they're made by plants. And they're, they're really key to good health. We also know that complex carbohydrates, you know, not the refined sugars, but the complex carbohydrates that that uh, are only made in plants. You know, there's a tiny little bit in animals called glycogen, but that's, a, that's so small it's insignificant. But we need the complex carbohydrates. We need the antioxidants. And we ought to have, obviously, enough protein, that's essential, but we need the right kind of protein at the right amount. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that combination of ideas, and together with, you can actually speak to the same thing with respect to minerals, calcium mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, iron and, and a number of other uh, minerals, the, the, the appropriate levels to have are those that are presented or provided by plant-based foods.
0: So if I'm eating a wide variety, I should be okay in terms of getting... Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Uh, B12 is one you just mentioned a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, there's often been a, a B12 deficiency, you know, for people who only eat plants. Right. And, it, and that comes from literature showing that people who, you know, stick with just plants, what happens is their vitamin B12 levels in their blood tends to be lower. Right. That's pretty, that's pretty consistent. Um, that concerns people when, when they're low because if they get low enough, then uh, some problems, uh, you know, concerning anemia... Mm-hmm. And a sort of neurological problem that that, that may appear in some people who mm-hmm. are really low. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think the whole question concerning B12 is overemphasized because, for one thing, B12 is not produced in animals. A lot of right. people think they have to eat animal food to get B12. That That's a mythology, too. B12 is actually produced by microorganisms. And so there's B12 in the soil. There can be B12, you know, if you have vegetables, have a bit of soil on them, you get enough B12. We also store a lot of it, too you know, for long periods of time, and it's an essential nutrient, there's no question about that. Those are B12s that do a job and keep us healthy also relates to a factor that's produced in the stomach called intrinsic factor. Hmm. And so some of the things that we may see on occasion with B12 deficiency could be due to a lack of intrinsic factor, not B12. Huh. Although it shows up as a, you know, B12-like deficiency. And in those individuals, if you give a B12 supplement, and, and these are re- this is kind of rare, actually. Right. So those individuals who come up with what appears to be a B12 deficiency, you give them some B12, and things tend to correct themselves.
2: That's but really interesting. But it's not
1: clear that, you know, they are really B12 because they're not having enough B12s. It's also possible that they're not having enough intrinsic factors, and that's an entirely different question. The kind of nutrients we consume mm-hmm. um, are more than adequate. Well, can kind of amount from plant-based foods. There's nothing in animal-based foods that we need by way of nutrients. Right. You know, and so, and I feel very comfortable saying this. I know it, it's a provocative statement for a lot of people. I've been saying it for some years now, but now I, as time passes, I get more comfortable with it because it turns out if you take a group of people mm-hmm. and you just feed them plant-based, good quality plant-based foods, we cure their heart disease. Mm-hmm.
2: It's amazing.
1: Even in late stages, mm-hmm. the angina goes away. If they've got angina, that goes away in no time at all, in a week or so. And if they have diabetes, you can just take, you can get them off their drugs uh, tomorrow, or at least in a week or two. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that figuratively, but it, it, everything happens very fast. They lose body weight, their diabetes problems resolved. heart disease problems resolved, and cancers. That's my specialty. Right. Uh, we could turn on and turn off cancer just simply by We could turn it on by giving them milk protein of all things.
0: Wow. I mean, those are really, really huge. You know,
1: taking milk protein away and replacing it with plant protein, like soy or wheat. And so uh, the more we probe this question concerning the effect of nutrition on health, Mm -hmm. the more we learn that whole plant-based foods is what we ought to be eating. It's that simple.
0: We have to wrap things up. But before we go, I'd love to hear about what you're working on right now.
1: Uh, well, I'm just uh, uh, finishing up the mm-hmm. second book, mm-hmm. the title of which is just one word, and one word is whole, W-H-O-L-E.
3: Oh, wow, okay.
1: And um, it's basically, a, in addition to the China study that we did, mm-hmm. it's sort of a, a, the more philosophical, uh, I guess, historical and scientific basis for why nutrition does what it does. Okay. And it's obviously focused on the idea that uh, nutrition does not come from individual nutrients, as in nutrient supplements for stout workday. It can really come from whole food. That'll be out next May, 2013. Okay, great. And, uh, the other thing is we're working on this at my foundation. And in my name, tcollincampbell.org, uh, partnering with eCornell. It's the Cornell arm of electronic uh, online courses.
2: Mm-hmm. We have a
1: course called uh, Plant-Based Nutrition. It's actually a, th- a series of three courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, that we're excited about that because we really want to expand that, development into a number of different sort of topic areas concerning nutrition, and medical schools don't teach this kind of thing. So that's what we're doing.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Campbell. Thank you. To learn more about Dr. Campbell, his book, The China Study, and his course on plant-based nutrition, visit his website, www.tcolincampbell.org. That's www.tcolincampbell.org. We're gonna take a short break, but when we come back, I'm gonna leave you with a health fact that you might not know. So stay tuned to Healthy Living in a Toxic World.
4: Your kids are going for a bike ride, you make sure they wear a helmet. They insist on skateboarding, add knee pads and elbow pads too. Swimming in the pool, water wings, goggles, earplugs, If we could pack our kids in bubble wrap, we'd do it. Because we love them and we want to protect them. This is Lisa Edelstein with some very important news. Now there's an easy way to protect your kids three times a day. Choose healthy foods. Research has shown that a vegetarian diet rich in fruits, vegetables, and whole grains can help protect our kids against obesity. It can even help keep them from developing heart disease or cancer when they grow up. My friends at The Cancer Project are just waiting to hear from you so they can send you important information on how to protect your children from the inside out. Just log on to cancerproject.org or call 866-906-WELL. That's 866-906-WELL. This message brought to you by The Cancer Project. (laughs) Go ahead, ready? I'm Forrest Whitaker for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, and this is my daughter True. Hi. Life is full of choices. And many years ago, I chose to become a vegetarian. And it's one of the best choices I've ever made. And since True's dad was a vegetarian, she decided to be a vegetarian too. You may decide to go vegetarian
1: for better health, for a better environment, or you could be like True and I and just decide you
5: don't want to eat meat anymore. I love animals and I love being a vegetarian. I'm Forrest Whitaker. And I'm True Whitaker. And, and we're, we're vegetarians. vegetarians.
4: For more information, visit PETA.org. Hi, I'm comedian Carol Liefer. Animal experiments are no joke. Thank goodness scientists are finding better, more humane ways to develop treatments for cancer and other killer diseases. I hope you'll learn more about the Humane Charity Seal of Approval. It helps donors find charities that provide vital care and advance research without using animals. For information on how you can give and let live, go to HumaneSeal.org. That's HumaneSeal.org.
5: Millions of people all over the world go hungry while we waste our land and water resources. Did you know that raising animals for human consumption uses eight times as much water as growing fruits, vegetables, and grains? And that the same amount of land can produce 17 times more soybean protein than meat protein? If you care about animals, good health, and the earth, please consider becoming a vegetarian. The lives you save may include your own. For free, tasty vegetarian recipes and a DVD, call PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, at 1-888-VEG-FOOD, that's one 888 vegfood visit online at goveg.com, that's goveg.com. This message has been sponsored by PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, thank you.
4: This is Healthy Living in a Toxic World, the show that empowers you to live a stronger, more energetic life through the foods you eat, the way you think, and how you live.
0: We are back, and this is a Healthy Living in a Toxic World special. All right, before we close out the show, here's a health fact you might not know. Did you know that milk is addictive? According to our forthcoming guest, Victoria Moran, in her book, Main Street Vegan, casein, is one of the proteins in milk that crosses the blood-brain barrier and becomes casomorphine, which is like an opioid, like morphine. Nature created milk this way to draw growing mammals back to their mothers for more milk. Human milk has only 2.7 grams of casein per liter, and cow's milk has a whopping 26 grams. She continues, that because it takes an average of 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese or ice cream, that is a great deal of casein consumption. Food consultant Dr. Carrie Saunders says it becomes a multiplied opiate addiction and can feel like opiate withdrawal when someone tries to stop eating cheese and ice cream. People may experience headaches, depression, digestive abnormalities, including gas, constipation, diarrhea, cramping, anger for no apparent reason, and cravings that are extremely difficult to deal with, as with any opiate addiction. Okay, I really hope today's show was informative, and that if you have not considered a plant-based vegan diet, you won't be afraid to give it a try. By adopting a plant-based diet and eliminating processed foods, you immediately greatly decrease your chances of contracting a serious terminal disease, And if you are sick, a plant-based diet has been shown not only to alleviate many symptoms, but even reverse illnesses. Don't forget that in addition to all of that, a plant-based diet also will help you maintain a healthy weight, glowing skin, and boost your energy so that you have more time to achieve your dreams and your goals. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing will benefit human health and increase chances of a survival for life on Earth, as much as the evolution to a vegetarian diet. Is it time for a change? Take a good look at your lifestyle and diet and consider, at the very least, incorporating larger amounts of fresh, whole plant foods. If you are ready to take the plunge into vegetarianism or veganism, make sure to take your time and gradually shift your lifestyle. For long-term success, plant-based eating should be thought of as a lifestyle rather than just a diet. Well, that's all for today. If you're looking for more vegan lifestyle tips, tips for transitioning into veganism, or have a question for the show, visit my health blog, Raw Girl in a Toxic World. That's www.rawgirltoxicworld.com. You can also find Raw Girl in a Toxic World on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This is Asosa Adoza 1, also known as Raw Girl, signing off. Until next time, here's to your help.
4: This show is copyrighted by Radio Companion LLC. To order a copy of today's show, call 703-279-1010.